Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another BP Movie Journal. My name is David. I'm Tyler. And this is the stuff we watched since the last time you heard us talk about the stuff we watched. That's quite a, uh, <laughs> a an opening line there. Let's keep that. <laughs> okay. Um, you know what I watched? What's that? Uh, a movie you yourself saw mm. and reviewed mm-hmm. for our website, battleshippretension.com. Favorably? Uh Yes, actually. I actually okay. quite liked your review, I should tell you. Oh, good. I read it after I saw the movie. I saw uh, the film, I, I forget the director's name, Belinda Saren, I think. Uh, this, the film is called Dark Star. Oh, H- yes. H.R. Yes. Giger's World, or Indeed. Dark Star, H.R. Giger's Welt. Yes. That's yes. the uh, German language name. <coughs> um, and so we talked about it on here before, when you saw it. Yeah. I liked it quite a bit. Okay. Um. But I do feel that it um, it meanders a lot in a in a way that sometimes <laughs> I feel like I don't know if this is a good or bad thing about the movie. Something in the movie would be so provocative that I'd start thinking about it. But because the movie then just sort of goes off. Yeah. I would realize that like, oh, I haven't really been listening to the last yeah. two minutes of this movie because I was thinking about something. Yeah. You've been engaged. <laughs> yeah. Technically, you've been engaged, but it doesn't hold it because it, it right. sort of it, it, it seems to like occasionally give me permission to let my mind wander. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Maybe unintentionally, but yes, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, yeah, I mean there I mean, there are some wonderful things in the movie. Uh, I mean just just the fact that we get to see so much of his art is always uh, always great. That's what I love. And is that, surrounded by it? Yeah, and I wonder if maybe that was honestly. This I didn't put this in my review. I wonder if that is a choice that they made when they realized like. Giger can't talk super well. Like he's, I, I, I hate to be so crass about it, but like he is towards the end of his life. And well, he literally was, he died yeah. not that long after the months after I think. Yeah. Um, and so like it was, sometimes it was a little painful to hear him talk. Like you could tell there was some strain going on mm-hmm. and all that. And so I wonder if they just realized like, okay, we may need to minimize modern day Giger just because, he talks slow it's labored and it's tough so let maybe let's just turn this into a general celebration of his art or maybe they always want to do that i don't know but that's certainly what it is um yeah and i i thought the biographical elements were a little lacking in a lot of places one of my favorite parts of the movie is right at the beginning when they're they when there's a psychologist wandering through his garden mm-hmm. talking about the psychology of his art yeah i thought that was fa- fascinating and i guess i, I would have liked if you're gonna not focus on the biographical part, which is, uh, you know, he didn't have the most, uh, and good for him. He didn't have the most compelling childhood for a documentary. Right. It seemed to be a pretty good childhood, but he did have some pretty tragic stuff happen to him, uh, or, or, le- or happen to, um, people he knew, yeah. uh, later in his life. Uh, but if you're going to not d- focus on that, if it had been more about the psychology, uh, I would have, I would have liked that more, but then, but then it sort of goes off on like, here's how much he meant to the, these like metal music, like the guys from yeah. the Frost, or, or like, um, here's uh, like his agent talks, I think way too briefly about how the established, how much the established art world rejected him after alien. Hmm. Like he, remember that he like became yeah. much bigger, much more popularly known. That's right. But like yes. the establishment was like, Oh, he's sold out to Hollywood. Essentially. I don't think he uses those words, but that's essentially like the, 
the uh, the thing he gets across. And yeah. so it was it was like for years after after Alien, like galleries and stuff would like shun him. And there's so yeah, it's like one little bit of an interview. And like I would have liked to have seen more about that because it's really interesting. Though I mostly like the movie. In fact, there are things that I very much respond to. Um, there are things that I, I feel like if it had picked one or two particular strain, you know, paths to follow and then did that, I think it would have been a stronger film as it is. It picks a bunch, it picks them all uh-huh. and then does all of them a little bit. Yeah. Um, like yeah. I, I love, I am fascinated. I remember I had this thought and for live me, I wish I had put it in my review now. Cause I did have the thought, the idea that uh, that he had sold out to Hollywood, I was like, well, if anything, Hollywood sold out to him when it came to Alien. Like, he didn't compromise right, really yeah. anything there, yeah. you know. And so, and like, he never changed what he did, to my knowledge, ever. People simply used it, right? And so, but they never required that he do something different than what he was ever going to do. So that's not. You can make the argument that somebody else co opted it but that doesn't change what he's doing at all. Yeah. And so it's just such a, it's such a stupid elitist idea. Yeah. That I, think is, is I, bullshit. Mean, I imagine that if I buy an expensive collectible action figure of an, of a xenomorph, mm-hmm. the HR Giger estate gets something for that. Cause there is a, the, his, it's, his mother-in-law like it, yeah. works as his, uh, like accountant essentially. And she talks about getting things from 20th century Fox. So I imagine if they're licensing the image to a collectible to sideshow collectibles or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I imagine some of that money must go to HR, HR Giger. I would assume so basically uh, anywhere the alien shows up, which at this point is many places. Um, uh, but no, there was, but uh, all that aside, there were some great just little moments. Like I love the people. I love when he does the signing at the Giger museum and you've got these like, big like beefy like metal guys with like you know muscles and like scary essentially scary looking guys yeah just brought to tears by just getting his autograph i found that i also love him and his wife eating uh eating dinner in front of the tv watching shadow of the vampire and cracking up yeah which is hilarious that's that's great uh and then my other favorite thing is when he complains to his old assistant slash girlfriend yeah. that his new assistant is too tidy and organized and he says it's bourgeois. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact that everything in his basement is like, can actually be located yeah. is bourgeois. <laughs> it's, it is also, yeah, it is often a very funny film. It is also one that is very touching and it's so like, I found it invigorating. Like those, that scene that you're talking about where like these large intimidating guys that if you saw them walking down a dark alley, be like, Oh, right. geez. um, that they would, that they would, you know, well up at how much his work meant to them. Like I found the concept of that invigorating because while his work is undeniably beautiful and so, and so unique, like no one can do that. No one else could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like if I have any emotional response to it, it's probably fear. Um, but that that the that it resonates so much with these people on a personal level that when they meet the man who designed it they they feel like they know him or they feel connected yeah. to him like that's no one would ever point to that art and no one instinctively would point to that art and say oh that's the kind of art that'll touch people on an emotional level but it does and that's amazing but i found i i actually because i do 
I do think I have some uh, some things in common with you know because I whatever things lead me to be sort of into metal or mm-hmm. you know that kind of music uh, are are th- those things are in me too as much as they are in, I mean, maybe not as much but the same type of things are in me that are in those guys or in in Giger and one of the things I found really interesting that uh, someone it's not something he says it's someone like because because of how hard it is for him to talk a lot of the movie is people recounting things that he has said in the past um but the idea of him he said at one point that the images that he makes uh they scare him too but he gets them out because if he doesn't put them somewhere they're just in his head terrifying him by getting them out he's I don't know, mastering them or, or just processing them. Yeah. And I think as a guy who is drawn to that kind of thing and who thinks about, uh, I'm a person who thinks about my own mortality at least a half dozen times a day. Oh, wow. Like, that's, I don't um, think I realize that. <laughs> that's the kind of thing that, that does, uh, that there's, there's an emotional reason that it appeals to me too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting film and i you know what and i'll say this like in watching it i mean of course they were going to go to the giger museum which i've been to and i was so happy that i i've i don't know just i was happy at the time but in retrospect i was like not a lot of people get to go here and i was and i found it by accident i didn't even know it was in gruyere and so and just walking around and just seeing that stuff is amazing because it's not just paintings obviously there's a lot of sculptures and those you know, are very visceral. And then what I like is that, I mean, there's in there's sexuality infused in basically all of his work. And yet, even within the museum, they have a very, they have a specific room that where children are not allowed (laughs) and you walk in, it's like, Oh, I thought he was overt before. Never mind. Okay. Okay, Here's all this stuff. Does that have the, um, the thing that's a movie that the, the dead Kennedys used on their uh, artwork that they yes. had to go to court yep. uh, for. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I kind of, I, part of me wished that they had talked more about his, um, we spent so long in this movie, yeah. but um, cause he didn't just do alien. He also did uh, worked on species and right. um, his stuff has shown up otherwhere, otherwise in movies, but also um, in uh, what's that? I made the stupidest joke in my mind. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. Well, now I got to hear it. Oh, I'm so sorry, everybody. Species where you are the endangered Congo. <laughs> that is yeah, so see, stupid. I hate stupid myself joke. so much yeah, for not, even thinking it. Not worth it. And laughing. <laughs> not and laughing. worth pausing for. Yeah. Uh, but no, uh, it, it, like, it's sort of like they only talk about Alien in terms of movies. They also only talk about Celtic Frost in terms of right. the artwork. Of, uh, and they do briefly mention Dead Kennedys, but more just as a result of the court case. Yeah. Um, but he did a lot of art. One of the last things he did was the the cover of the the last album by the band Trypticon, which is really mm. good. Uh, I'd say one of the better albums of last year. Uh, anyway, we spent way too long on this one movie. Let's yeah. move on. But that's, you know, we both seen it, so we had something to talk about. Uh, let's move on to something that only I have seen, and we'll be talking about it again in the main episode this week because okay. we'll be playing at LA Film Fest. It's another documentary called In Football We Trust. Hmm. Um, and imagine, so it's, it's really good, but imagine if hoop dreams, instead of being about black South side, Chicago basketball playing teenagers is about Polynesian American Mormon, Utah football players. 
So, <laughs> this is something I didn't know is that there's a huge Polynesian community in the Salt Lake City area, and most of them are Mormon now. They've well, been there yeah. for a, for a while, I guess, and adopted the local religion. Um, and uh, so this, like, uh, but what you know, Hoop Dreams tracks two kids for three hours. Right. This one does the reverse. It tracks four kids for 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's, it's really good stuff. Uh, really fascinating. It played at Sundance and I guess got some good buzz there. Uh, or at least got, uh, it was a popular movie there, I think because it takes place in Utah. And mm-hmm. I think so a lot of the locals went to see it cause that's where Sundance Sundance is in Utah. Yeah. This is the, this is the connection I'm making yeah. here. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really good. I'll have a review on the site uh, in the next week or so when it premieres at, um, LA film fest. Okay. But I would definitely recommend checking it out. Okay. So, uh, for me, I did not see very many movies this, uh, week. I did not have a great deal of time. In fact, the two movies I did watch were rewatches because I, in one case I had to watch it. In the other case, a friend of mine expressed interest in watching it and he hadn't seen it before. So, uh, I'll take the second one first. I'm going to go out of order. You're going to take it. I'm going to talk. I'm going to yeah, talk. About yeah. You sound like yeah. you're like ordering oh, from, okay. a, from a deli. <clears throat> I'm thinking in terms of quiz show. Can I take that question uh-huh. last? Um, so, uh, I watched Ridley Scott's alien, uh, appropriately oh. enough for a number of reasons. Um, a uh, friend came over and we looked at uh, my movie shelf and uh, we he mentioned that he had not seen Alien before. And I thought, oh, well, this is exciting because I can watch Alien at any time. And also we've got the, the commentaries coming up yeah. and I hadn't seen it. Very I've seen exciting. Alien enough that I didn't need to watch it again to talk about it. But never hurts to rewatch it, especially when it's Alien. And uh I mean, I'll say this. <clears throat> I am working on a new top hundred uh, right now, and it's proving difficult. Your own personal top my own personal movies. top hundred, yes. Not a new one of our BP lists, right? No, this is just this one's just for me and listeners for you. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't think Alien's going to crack the top ten, but it's getting close. Like oh. it, that's one that just the more I think about it, the more I watch it uh the higher up the list it goes it is just such a wonderful experience um it's a world i love inhabiting which sounds strange because it's such a you know such a dark menacing world even before the alien shows up even before they're on a a a hostile planet like it's very oppressive and just i love the design i love the pacing I enjoy the acting a great deal. I, there's just so much about that movie that I absolutely adore. Um, and I, while through the years, I think I've overcorrected uh, in some ways. And because when I was a kid, I thought Aliens was way better than Alien. and Or which is to say, I preferred it a lot more. And then when I, think, I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to watch either. <laughs> By kid, I think I mean middle school. Okay. Um, but uh, although, you know what? I think, yeah, a friend whose parents uh, didn't care about this kind of thing uh, rented Aliens, and we all watched it. Let's see. I was in Ventura, so I must have been eight <laughs> or, or nine. And we all loved it, of course. We played Aliens on the playground during recess. Um, and 
we were all, you know, the Marines. I do think that that movie lends itself more to that kind of thing. It lends itself more to action figures and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but as time went on and I became a very hip film student, you know, then it's like, well, aliens, a much better film. Uh, I prefer alien now. And so I wound up kind of shitting on aliens, which I also rewatched, uh, recently in pieces. Um, and aliens is still pretty great. So I feel bad that I spoke ill of that, but there is no question that for me, alien is like the definitive of all of those films. And I think one of the most definitive, like science fiction movies, horror movies, um, it's, and it, and when you watch like the making of it, it's just a one, it's just a little miracle of a film that it got made the way it got made when it did. Oh, I can't uh, speak well enough about it. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I don't think I came to the movies as early as you did, obviously, but, um, you'll find an argument with me. I think I've always been on the alien is better, uh, team but if i had seen them earlier you're right aliens might have oh no question about it uh, appealed more to me if i was a kid i probably would i mean once once the quote-unquote action starts in alien i think i as a kid would be terrified and really engaged but up until then i think i might have been bored um yeah i don't know if i saw it when i was you know eight or nine yeah um i'd be like nothing's happening you know all that kind of thing (laughs) um all right let's move on okay um i watched my uh this 2015 will be known for me as the year in which I fell in love with the films of the guy whose name I always forget. Costa Gavras, Costa Gavras, you know, who is I'm it Gravis? Gra- uh, uh, I don't think it is, but I'm going to look it up. Uh, maybe we, I always read it that way because but we it might be wrong. We, we talked on talked about Z. We talked about Z when I watched that. Uh, now I have watched his 1972 film state of siege. Okay. And man, this guy was just on, yeah, Gavras, Costa okay. Gavras. Um, he was on another level at this time, or at least for my personal wheelhouse, he was he was just killing it at this mm-hmm. time because this is a uh, state of a siege is a is a, it takes place over a week um, where uh, I guess um, liberal communist uh, uh, insurgents. I'm not sure what the word is because they're, they're more than just protesting their revolutionaries i guess revolutionaries have kidnapped a number of um government officials in this um unnamed fictional latin american country mm-hmm. um but the government officials they've kidnapped are not from this country they because their argument is people are coming from brazil and from the u.s um and it's very i think it's very much informed because the the brazil thing is uh not as big a deal as the 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 main character the guy who played Z actually in Z um, is this uh, American uh, USA uh, diplomat guy that mm-hmm. they that they kidnap. And his the, their their charge is that he's here to teach their to train their police force to essentially be more violent and more fascist and how to keep down rebellions. And he gives lip service to promoting democracy, but he's really. Um, there to help the police and the military enforce the U.S.'s interests in this country. So, which is very, I mean, so it was kind of uh, prescient. This movie came out in 1972 because in 1973, uh, the whole thing went down in Chile, uh, which is in 
incredibly similar to what's going on here. Um, I'm not going to try to explain it all. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I did. And you're I, not, I you're, screwed it up and we cut it out. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, but uh, so it's, it, it takes place over a week while the, and it deals on the one hand with these, uh, I don't know what you want to call them. Gorillas, um, revolutionaries, whatever, mm-hmm. interrogating this guy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why you're smiling. Nothing. I'm sorry. Go on. I said gorilla. Yeah, you and you're going to make another Congo joke. <laughs> I was thinking you got Congo of, on the brain. I do. All right. Um, and then the uh, and then it cuts back between that and what's happening in the government um, with you know the people trying to find them and the people, but also the elements of the government who are sort of being uh, convinced. I guess mm-hmm. you know the I guess the more leftist elements of the government. But amidst all this, like in Z. both Z and state of siege, when you describe them as I just did sound very dry, but they're cut like thrillers and and they're, they have this incredible sense of forward motion and also a real sense of humor too. There's, um, there's a scene in state of siege where it's like, it's not the UN, but it's a UN type thing where there's a bunch of people from different countries. So they all speak different languages. They have those headphones on, you know, they're being Mm -hmm. translated for, and so there's like this running gag where the main guy who's talking is speaking French. And so he'll make a joke. Everyone who speaks French will laugh and there's a wave and then everyone else <laughs>, laughs as they're having it translated for them. And it happens a couple of times. Yeah. And then there's another bit where, um, the, uh, to distract the police, the, uh, revolutionaries have placed, they've hidden all these loudspeakers around this town square and they'll start playing, this like anti-fascist folk pro- protest song on one of them and the cops go and like climb the tree and pull it down and break it. And as soon as they break it, they start playing the song on the other one. So it becomes this kind of sort of keystone cops thing of these, this group of cops <laughs> like running back and forth across this town square, breaking these loudspeakers. Uh, it's, there's a lot of fun stuff in it. Uh, but it's also really like when it, then when it gets to the, when the government, you know, finds people like they, they're not finding the actual where this guy's held or the actual people who kidnapped him, but they're finding their cohorts and essentially gunning them down without trial. And so it manages to go from this sort of lighthearted stuff to some really shockingly violent and brutal stuff. Um, pretty easily. Uh, it's really, uh, this guy, as far as, as far as just my tastes in film, this mm-hmm. guy, he was killing it. There's only one movie of his that I've seen that I'm aware of, um, which is missing. Did which I haven't missing? seen. The only one I, other than Z and State of Siege, the only one I've seen is Amen, which is about, um, if I remember, it's about the Catholic Church during the Holocaust. That's right. All right yeah, that's right. really interesting. Um, but yeah, and I remember liking Missing. I think I might have been a little too young, by which I mean like, uh, yeah, my, yeah, my friend party. was like, hey, you guys want, <laughs> you thought Aliens was tense. Just wait until <laughs> Jack Lemmon's son goes missing. Uh, where is he? Who's to say? Um, but uh, but I, what I mean to say is like, I think I was 17 and I was excited to see it and I watched it with a friend um, and I thought it was good, not great. Um, but I feel like if I were to rewatch it, I think I'd probably enjoy it. All right, um, and then the last thing I watched was a rewatch. I rewatched the 1940 film The Thief of Baghdad. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's such a delight. I don't mm-hmm. know what can be said about it that hasn't already been said about it. Um, you've seen it multiple times. Well, we saw it in a class together. Yeah. Um, in film. Have you revisited it since then? I have not. Neither I have, had I. I'm trying to think. It's I, on what? Hulu Plus. 
I'm trying to think what Michael Powell I have revisited. I've watched Colonel Blimp a few times. I've watched The Red Shoes. I, I, I own Black Narcissus, but I haven't watched it yet. I've watched that one um, the most because that is yeah. a top five all-time movie for me. I wasn't a huge fan of I Know Where I'm Going, but I thought it was pretty good. I'd like to watch that one again. And then Matter of Life and Death or Stairway to Heaven. I forget which we officially called it, right? I think, I think A Matter of Life and Death is the preferred cineast okay. title. I think Stairway to Heaven was the whoever distributed in the u.s at the time okay changed it to that for u.s distribution okay. and i think in vhs releases it was called stairway to heaven but it's sort of like a it's we all call it bicycle thieves now right exactly that sort of thing it's exactly. like we all know it's a matter of life and death now we just pretend stairway to heaven never happened right. the one that gets me is like to my knowledge like to my knowledge the orson welles film falstaff is also called chimes at midnight and it's pretty interchangeable. Yeah. I don't think because it's not a film that people talk about very much. I feel like it hasn't warranted people deciding yet what we're going to call it. Right. I, call, well, I like, still call it like Chimes at Midnight. Mr. Arcaden slash Confidential Report. Yeah, that's a tough one, too. But I guess um, the Criterion Collection came along and said, look, yeah. we're putting this in bigger letters. Yeah. It's Mr. Arcaden. Well, there and th- I guess that's kind of what they did. Uh, there were like four different death too, right? Didn't Criterion put that out? Yeah, no. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, there were like four different versions of Mr. Arcade and only one was called confidential report. So like, all right, we got a, we've one, got a majority here. Which one did you and I watch on VHS all those years ago in our old, department? I think we first, Oh, cause I found it on VHS by that, uh, at that video store down by uh, school that I don't think is there anymore. Um, none of them are. And I think there's nobody. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I think we saw, com- I think it was confidential report actually. Yeah. Um, I have, I've since watched what is considered to be the, as comprehensive a cut as you, one can have of an Orson Welles film, uh, of Mr. Arcaden and it's marvelous. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's thief of Baghdad. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> I don't have anything else really to say it's about it. Mar- it's just, it's wonderful. Like I, we haven't talked enough Considering that we took a class on him and we both really love his stuff, we haven't talked enough about Michael Powell on this show. Powell and Pressburger, actually, is the way to put it. Cause like, right, but I don't think Thief of Baghdad is Pressburger. Oh, that's it is just Powell, right? Well, no, it's Powell and there's like three people credited as directors. That's but right. None of them is Pressburger. Um, but uh, what? Because uh, it was fairly early. And what I find striking about the Thief of Baghdad is that if you... <laughs> If you map out the plot of the movie, it's almost like a kid making up a story where it's like, and then this happens like, yeah, like, because like it's, it's essentially the same story as Aladdin, right? Yeah. But in Aladdin, you get to the genie, what, like 25 minutes into the movie at yeah. most, right? Um, the genie doesn't even show up until like almost the third act of the yeah. Baghdad because it just does this whole thing where it's like, uh, he's blind and a poo's a dog. Yeah. And then he's not for a while. And then like, it it like keeps changing what the story is about, but yeah. it's so magical and it has this great forward momentum, uh, that it doesn't seem like a, a fault at all. It, like the fact that it seems like a kid making up a story is actually part of the charm of it. When I think of that movie, I think of the word exuberance. Like uh-huh. it's just a film that's so full of life and joy yeah. that I just enjoy it a lot. And my, the, the bit at the, at the very end when, um, Ahmed has been restored to the, the king to being the king mm-hmm. and publicly appoints a poo as his, uh, is no, it's not a poo. It's, uh, Abu, Abu, uh, because it's Sabu, Abu. He publicly appoints Abu as his advisor, and Abu's like, 
fuck that and like fly like flees on the uh, flying carpet he's like i'm all about the adventure i'm not going to sit around being some stuffy advisor i love that now i don't remember i haven't seen in a while i don't remember him specifically saying fuck that but (laughs) you know performance yeah (laughs) you can see it yeah um he's really telegraphing it um okay yeah at some point we i feel like we should probably wind up doing a uh, artist profile. Yeah, it's kinda, it is kind of weird that we haven't. Yeah. Considering that the very the first one we did was David Lean. Yeah. And that was the other half Same of that class. class. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So yeah, the only other movie that I saw this week was, uh, Frank Marshall's, uh, mid nineties classic Congo, <laughs> which that oh, may be why it's yeah. on my brain. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be a guest on uh, what the fuck are you watching? Um, and we will be discussing Congo. Um, it has been on my mind for easily uh, a month and a half because I talked with Ernie Hudson about it at the International Christian Film Festival. And what's fascinating is that I talked to him about Oz and Congo, and he lit up at Congo. Like, he could not wait for someone to say it. And I don't mean it in like a, like a ham fisted, like, like, Oh, I'm just, you know, but like he clearly really liked being a part of that movie. Uh-huh. Um, and I think probably like he was talking about how in his performance, he was referencing this 1930s actor or that 1930s actor and all that. And, uh, it's a film that, I, I, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail because we'll be talking about it on what the fuck you watching. You can go listen to that. But, um, it's a film that is in many ways, ridiculous and at times terrible but you know what i've become a lot more forgiving of it as i've gotten older (laughs) because when it comes right down to it it's not jurassic park it's romancing the stone it's indiana jones it's an adventure story okay because we think of like oh the killer apes but killer apes don't like they they're what kick everything off but they don't actually show up in any kind of meaningful way until maybe the last 25 minutes up until then it's okay. So this is the story we're talking about. You're dealing with like, you know, uh, rogue governments and soldiers, a hippopotamus attack, uh, a native tribe. Uh, you're dealing with temples, um, like ancient temples. And then, uh, a volcano erupts and they escape by way of uh, a hot air balloon. Like everything about that seems not merely adventure movie, but old time adventure movie, like 1930s or forties. And when I look at that, when I think of that, it's like, and it's not always structured very well. It certainly is not Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it's the same instinct that made Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's worth noting that Frank Marshall directed it, who produced the Indiana Jones films. Yeah. And so it's not a movie that I'm going to champion the way I have some other movies, but like, it's a, it's a film that I feel like, if you go into it with that, first off, that uh, understanding that level of melodrama when it comes to certain performances, and I talked about this when we when we profiled Tim Curry, there mm-hmm. are some performances that really get it. Ernie Hudson is one of them, as is Tim Curry, and it's just uh, I'm not sure if I would even say it's a fun movie, but it's a movie that I actually admire a lot. I admire the making of it. Undoubtedly, it was made because because of Jurassic Park. Um, it was made two years after Jurassic Park was a monster hit. Hey, we've got another movie, another sort of creature feature by the same author. Let's do this. But it was not made with the same mentality. And it wasn't just trying to be another Jurassic Park. They could have just had the apes be front and center the whole time. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's a film that I that I kind of respect. And here's a fun story. I was telling 
so I was working and uh, I was taking a break from work. And so I was, I was watching Congo on my computer and Jen walks in. She's like, what are you watching? And I said, Oh, I'm watching Congo. She goes, Oh, I went and saw that on my birthday with my friends when it first came out. Cause it came out on her birthday. Huh. So she and her friends, when she turned, let's see, 95. So she turned 13. Uh, she and her friends went and saw Congo. And I was like, what did everyone think? She's like, I don't know. I think we all liked it. <laughs> and so um, anyway, so that's that's why I've had Congo on the brain. Sorry, everybody. Quite all right. Uh, let's move on to some television. Okay. Now, uh, since we've last recorded, Outlander season one has come to an end. And I know I had complained a bit about um, some of this this second half of season one. Okay. I hate this. I hate that, we, that TV shows do this now. That we have to like talk about not just seasons, but like halves of seasons. Yeah. I really hate you have the Outlander season one, volume one Blu-ray uh, and then infuriates yeah. me just to look at it. I'm sorry. Just the fact that like, I didn't oh, now buy- we have to buy two things if we want to buy this. I didn't buy it. I'm I know sorry. you didn't, but I'm not mad at you. Okay. I'm mad at anyway. What um, started it? Was it Sopranos that started it? Cause they split uh, up season six. Yeah, I guess that's, uh, but, but then I, Sex and the City did around the same time. Mm, that's right. Um, so I'm not sure which one was first, but now it's so But AMC really jumped into it. And yeah. I remember, but I think... Like, I mean, Battlestar Galactica did it, and Teen Wolf does it. And like, all these shows now, it's just, like, so commonplace to the point where... And usually they at least wait until a f- wait a few seasons. To, now Outlander jumps... Yeah. Right out of the gate with admittedly a 16 episode first season, which is a lot for a yeah. an hour long, you know, high production value cable drama. So I understand that. But uh, I, I, I don't. I what don't is like the it. advantage of it? Now, I know part of the advantage because I remember I think Paul Goebel explained that from a network standpoint that like if you're you're not paying someone for another season. Cause right. if you do that, they might be able to renegotiate their contract. I, I think that was very much the, the impetus with the Soprano season six. Right. I think with, um, breaking bad season five and mad men season seven, mm-hmm. that's, I think that's more about another year of Emmy eligibility. Oh yeah. It, I guess there is that. He gets to rack up more Emmys yeah. now by, by, by doing that. And I wonder, cause like, uh, I think it was season two or three, um, of the walking dead that was split up, uh, when they're all at the farmhouse and I've spoken ill of walking dead and, uh, deserved every word, but it really utilized just how much it was split up. Like as opposed to, and it didn't tra- like, it's so interesting. It really treated it as a genuine midpoint climax, not this is clearly the end of a season, but we're not going to do that because we don't want to renegotiate contracts. Like they genuinely, they genuinely knew where to stop that. So it's like, well, there's definitely more to more to come, but this is an emotional payoff that we've been leading up to. But there's, but we know that that's not the end. It's just a payoff. And I remember being, that was the first instinct. I think the first instance of that, pardon me, um, that I thought was used artistically well. I still don't like it. I wish they'd just call it another season. Oh, yes, absolutely. I think I'd prefer that. But if they're going to do it, at least do it right. Especially when it comes to home video. Like, how much of a chump do you feel like laying down 30-something dollars for a Blu-ray of half a season of television? Yeah. Oh, Oh, the the fact that I guess that's what really gets my hackles up about is the fact that they think we're just going to swallow that. And we have, apparently. People do, you know? 
Like, oh, here's the, here's a vow I'm going to make. Okay. Right. Watch out. I've said uh, uh, this is my second TV related vow. All right. Because I vowed. I wish we had a little drop in. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> David Bax TV I, promise. I have vowed in the past to never, ever watch the Tonys. Okay. And that's going to come up again and not tempt me again. Really okay. soon. I'm having no trouble keeping that one. Here's my other vow. I will never own a DVD or Blu-ray set of half a season of anything. Cause I don't currently, I don't have, would you ever buy the, the Sopranos? Sopranos? But if you did, you'd buy it all as one thing. Buy the box. Uh-huh. Set. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. Now, um, I should say I'll never buy it because sometimes things get sent to us to review. Sure. And I can't, you know, um, but you watch it and I throw it in help. the trash. <laughs> no, I like it. Um, so anyway, that's my vow. I'll never buy right. half a season of anything on DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, but back to Outlander. Okay. I complained a little bit about this season, about it feeling like uh, a little directionless or repetitive because it seems like like for a while there, most of this back half of season one was about either Claire or Jamie is kidnapped by the British and the other one has to go rescue that person. And that sort of seemed like, okay, so we're just in this loop now. Um I'm going to, but all that gets set aside by these last two episodes of Outlander, which were so incredible. And so I think the, the, the movie, uh, the movie, the show is so immersive that you don't, uh, and this is a very much to its credit, but you don't think about this while you're watching it. But when you stand back and think about what happens on Outlander, all the things that happen on Outlander, you're like, this is so weird that this is all in one show. Mm-hmm. There isn't a show like Outlander for better or worse. No, there is no other show that is a, you know, it's a time travel action romance, uh, science fiction. Like it's, it's all this, all this stuff that is, has all of the, you know, fun genre elements and adventure stuff. It is also super heavy about, um, politics uh the politics of mid 1700 scotland like that's a big part of it and also about like it's a show that you know a lot of tv is violent um we respond well to that um and you know here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna compare it to game of thrones even though i don't like uh, i don't like talking too much about game of thrones because like I just feel like the internet has reached a saturation point with people discussing game of Thrones, but, um, a problem that has come up in the, in recent seasons, a complaint that has come up a lot in recent seasons of game of Thrones. If I may interrupt. Okay. I'll, I'll take a drink of water. Uh, I agree with you. I don't think you should necessarily start a podcast about game of Thrones. However, based on what I've just absorbed, through cultural osmosis, uh, and then knowing what I personally do about your view of Game of Thrones, I would. I think I, and I also think the listeners would enjoy hearing your thoughts on Game of Thrones, especially because you know I picked up on a couple weeks ago a whole lot of controversy about a rape scene. That's I was where talk- I'm going with this, by the way. I was talking with Kyle Anderson about it, and he explained the context of the rape scene, and I would immediately was like, oh. I mean, it's still a big deal, of course, but uh, I, I get I understand where it's coming from. Well, um, yeah. But anyway, so given all of that sort of thing, I uh, I would encourage you in the future uh, if you if you have thoughts on Game of Thrones, uh, please share them. I, I but I want to. Here's the thing: 
I will have trouble resisting just being a troll about it because all the more reason we got to get them clicks there. <laughs> like it's one thing like, I don't know if I'm going to make fun of like the transformers movies or the twilight books or movies or whatever. I don't mm. really have any ground to stand on because right. I haven't, I haven't watched or read those, right. but something that I like that other people love is the most fun thing to make fun of because I can talk about it at length. It's how I am with breaking bad. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, making fun of game of Thrones is uh, a great pastime. I I could start a podcast literally where every week I just talk about how that episode wasn't that good. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a lot of fun for me. It's just Uh, more of a B plus, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, back to Outlander. So, um, game of Thrones, I think this this recent a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. um the 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 rape scene I understand why you reacted the way you did because uh, and Paul and I talked about this on Hey Watch This if you're just talking about this that scene it's actually not um there there's a justification for why it why right. it happened it makes sense for all the characters involved to behave the way they did but it I think for a lot of people it was the the straw that broke the camel's back because Game of Thrones has trafficked for so long in violence in general and sexual violence in particular as, as a trope or a shortcut without having, without bearing much responsibility of the psychic weight of that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, most egregiously in season three when, uh, I guess, I guess spoilers, but you know, uh, you know, fuck you. Um, not you, but the listener, fuck the listener. Um, no, uh, last season, that's, that's how you get them clicks. Yeah. Last season when Jamie Lannister raped his sister, Cersei Lannister next to the dead body of the son that they incestuously conceived together. That offended a lot of people, not just because it's a horrible thing, but also because Jamie as a character who started out as a huge villain in season one has been on this redemption arc. That's been really great. Mm-hmm. The Nikolai Costavaldo has done a great job in the role and the writing has been great. And we've really sort of liked this guy who, you know, starts, you know, ends the first episode by, murdering a child yep. or at least attempted murdering a child by throwing him out of a window. Um, and I, I saw that. Yeah. And so he's gaining this redemption thing and then he rapes his sister and then the show kind of just never mentioned it again. Hmm. Uh, and it just, it, it felt like the kind of thing they, that game of Thrones has done um, on many occasions just have shocking violence. And again, often shocking sexual violence without, the repercussions. So compare that to outlander who gave a huge portion of this final episode over to a torture and rape sequence. Mm. This one was male on male, but um, I I don't think that distinction actually matters that much for what we're talking about here. Um, Because even though I say it gave a large portion of its runtime to the actual depicting the actual acts of torture and and rape, the whole episode was about it because um, it it flashes back and forth. They rescue the guy who's been raped at the beginning, but then the episode cuts back and forth to his um, recovery from his wounds, his physical wounds, and then us actually seeing what happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's an entire, it's essentially an entire hour about um, the, I call it the psychic damage. They on the show talk about his soul. Um, You know, he's recovering from his wounds, but his, you know, uh, uh, rape is, uh, uh, and it's an attack on the soul as much as the Mm -hmm. body. 
Um, and the fact that they gave an entire episode over to that, it's, I mean, it's not easy to watch. I'm sure, uh, some heavy shit, but it's, uh, just, I think that's what I would, I would love, I I hope the, the producers of game of Thrones watch, watch outlander because when they, when the, when you say, when you defend the rape of Sansa by Ramsey star, uh, Ramsey, uh, Rape of sorry, Sansa Stark by Ramsey uh, Bolton on the show a couple weeks ago on Game of Thrones, and I as I kind of, Paul and I kind of did in the show, like kind of say like yes, it does make sense, but when you're making those individual case by case justifications for it, to compare it to what happened on Outlander, I would hope that the producers of Game of Thrones could look at that and say, oh, that's what people mean, that's what people are looking for, yeah. Uh, and so I, I ended up spending way more time on Outlander than I thought I would, but given that it has been, uh, and it seemed, I mean, it had to be coincidental. I don't think the producers of Outlander knew that their episode, uh, with a, that was about rape was going to air. So you don't think it's oh. a volcano Dante's peak situation? <laughs> I don't think, it was, I don't think they knew there was going to be a controversial rape on game of Thrones, you know, less than two weeks before their episode aired. It, it seemed it worked out, but I guess that's why I wanted to take some time to talk about it. Yeah. Do you have any more thoughts before we move on? Um, no, except, well, you know what, I'll say this. One of the reasons that I don't watch Game of Thrones, and there are actual, actually several, um, is that <clears throat> while I have no doubt, you know, I saw that first episode and it looked really good, but just based again on what I've just heard and hearing something is different than seeing it. Cause I think seeing it would be much, much worse, uh, uh-huh. for me, just the amount of, I don't think the film, I don't think the show takes any kind of joy or glee in doing this but like just the emotional i feel like i would find it so emotionally taxing uh just uh, so many of the things that i've heard whether it be the red wedding or the mountain and the viper yeah or one rape scene after another yeah uh just after a while like this idea of putting it out there and 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 some of this is based on stuff you've told me about what you think of the show that like all of this for, that it has wonderful production value and wonderful performances and fascinating characters and it's very engaging but in the end there is an almost pulpy soap opera quality to it and I, those are my words not yours but I, I don't I, remember exactly how you phrased it I, I'm no I, I would agree I mean I there's uh, I think um, despite the great dialogue and and uh in in performances and production design and everything um game of thrones as a tv show is essentially a lowbrow uh affair which is not necessarily bad there's right. a lot of lowbrow stuff that i like yeah but it's not prestige television the way it's often talked about and i will say i don't like to do this very often because i know game of thrones book readers have a bad, have a reputation for being snobbish but i will tell you the books are much better Mm. And the books are actually actually have um, a a, the, a sort of larger themes they're telling about uh, because the I mean the show has characters that are um, you know different families and different religions and different races but the book is really clear about again, family religion and race mm-hmm. um, and that. The, the my favorite parts of Game of Thrones, the show before I started reading the books were always the more political stuff mm-hmm. um, in every sense of the word political. And the show, the books are so much about that stuff that I just, I just respond so much more to that because the, the, 
the books actually J- George R. R. Martin in writing the books actually seems really interested in exploring the world that he's built and how it came to be what it is and how it functions currently. Mm -hmm. Um, and what a person's, um, upbringing or race or religion or sorts of things actually, actually mean to them and mean to their place in the world. Game of Thrones, the show has some of that as a residual effect of it being based on the books, but it's mostly just a show where a bunch of shit happens. And I feel like I would feel so, drained after ever maybe every episode that it's just like i i know it sounds and i'll say this if i if i were you and i had a tv podcast then i probably would feel an obligation to watch the show but i'm merely a film critic and thus <laughs> i don't have to watch the show yeah you don't and i'm okay with that um so uh yeah, uh, I still. Th- if you ever want to borrow the book or the books, I have all five of them. <laughs> uh, if you ever want to borrow the first one and give it a shot, uh, I would recommend it. Um, I barely have time to watch movies. I don't have time <laughs> to read no books. Uh, and then the, the last thing I'll talk about TV wise, and then I'll mm-hmm. uh, kick it over to you, is uh, got to talk about Adventure Time. Its sixth season is, I guess, drawing to a close. I never really know how to track that. Um, it's not as clear as regular shows because the sixth season has like 40 something episodes yeah. in it. Um, but they did an episode. I, I've talked whenever there's whenever the, I, I talked last week or two weeks ago about the episode hoots where MM and Walsh mm-hmm. did, did the voice of the psychic gal. So this episode, uh, was called, it's called you forgot your floaties, um, which I had to read a recap of the show afterwards to even remember why it's called that. Cause it's a, it's an oblique reference that is actually kind of important. Once I, I was like, Oh, that's what that is. Okay. okay. Um, but, uh, I, there's just no show. Uh, I just said this about Outlander, but there are reasons cause I, you know, when we do these t- movie journals, I only talk about some TV cause I watch a ton of TV. I only talk about the stuff that I think was important to me over the last week. And Outlander and Adventure have in common the fact that there is nothing else like them. Mm-hmm. Um, adventure, adventure time is, like a lot of shows on Cartoon Network, it is extravagantly weird, mm-hmm. but it is never, uh, this is a cliche, but it's never weird for the sake of being weird. Yeah. Um, it ties into, a uh, a world that, that they have created over there, the world of Ooh, that is always, ex- always expanding, but always seems to be of, of a whole of a piece. Um, but what really is important that I found in this episode, you forgot your floaties, uh, is that as weird as outlander gets, as weird as adventure time gets, it never loses the, it's emotional core. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'd say it's the, it's the opposite. I'd say it's weirdest episodes are also it's most emotional episodes. Yeah. So this episode was about magic man. I don't know if you know magic man. Uh, Mm -hmm. you haven't seen as much adventure time as I have. Um, magic man, his brother, um, was Glob the Adventure Time stand in for God? Oh, okay. Um, Glob is dead as of earlier this season. So Magic Man is using Glob's helmet as well as this human woman from the past, um, named Betty, voiced by Lena Dunham, to try and become essentially the new Glob. Uh, and so he has to put he has to build this machine that's half machine half magic put the helmet in it, and then he and betty each get in different chambers and sweat together 
and then they go into each other's nightmare slash dreamscapes. Okay. And so it gets incredibly weird. Yeah. Um, where, um, he's seeing her vision of a, uh, quote unquote coconut crab in your neighbor's backyard pool. And then he's seeing, or she's seeing his visions of crazy things, including his late wife, Margles voiced by, uh, the woman from community whose name I can never remember. Gillian something. Jacobs. Gillian Jacobs. She's in Life Partners. She's a great actress for some reason. That name just won't stick to my brain. Um, and uh, so Magic Man has been nothing but a total dick. That's his, that's literally his secret is that he's a jerk. That's, that there was a whole episode about he, ch- <laughs> he changed Finn into a foot and, and said, you'll have to stay that way until you can guess my secret. And his secret turns out to be the, just that he's a jerk. <laughs> so Matt, we've only known Matt, magic man is a jerk. And suddenly we're seeing that he has this wife who got sick and died and that he's trying to build these things that are clearly formed by the, the, these, these formed by his wife or his memories of his wife, but he's in such denial uh, about uh, about his own mourning because his whole identity is that he's this sort of gleeful jerk. Uh, it's just, it was just heavy shit and also yeah. incredibly weird. Uh, anyway, I spent too much time. Uh, what did you watch on TV? I watched a few things. One of them was, I guess a rewatch, uh, years ago, you and I, I don't remember in what capacity, but we watched all six episodes of Andy Barker PI. I did not watch all six. Not all six. I no. thought because you know each one's a half hour. Yeah, and I, think I thought we watched, we watched, the watched first them all couple. together. Okay. Well, I watched all of them, and uh, and the AV Club recently did a little feature on Andy Barker, and I didn't know it was on Hulu, and I thought I enjoyed that. I'll watch this again, and uh, it's a great little show. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's this may sound weird. It's harmless. Like it's just <laughs> it's such a like there's a slightness to it that I real that I kind of appreciate. And I think the MVP for me is Harv Presnell uh-huh. as like the, the, the old grizzled detective. Is that how you say his last name? I have no idea. Because like <clears throat> a, a, a theatrical light <coughs> called yeah. the Fresnel is spelled Fresnel, but it's pronounced oh. Fresnel. Okay, so maybe I've always wondered if maybe his name is Purnell. Okay, maybe it is. Um, but uh, he, man... They like it's it's always fun when people they get when the writers get a character and the actor gets the character and they know exactly how to how to work this together. And so he's this old private detective um, who's still very much mentally just kind of stuck in like the 50s and 60s. He calls people communists and stuff like that. <laughs> but it's stuff like uh, so uh, Andy Richter plays an accountant who gets mistaken for a private investigator. And so he's constantly trying to remind people like, no, I am just an accountant. And there's a part (laughs) where somebody gets kidnapped and they're going to get killed. And so he's talking with, uh, Harv, uh, Purnell or however you want to say it, his character, Lou. And he's like, he's like, he's like, Lou, I can't do anything about this. I'm an accountant. He's like, he goes, you are, huh? Well, here's some numbers for you in 11 and a half hours. They're going to kill, you know, but then there's also this thing where it is revealed that Lou is, a little bit afraid of chickens. In fact, deathly afraid of them. (laughs) And so there comes a moment when, uh, (laughs) when our heroes and Lou are running down an alley and a chicken crosses their path. It's at a chicken uh, plant. And so it's, you know, 
makes sense uh-huh. as much as it can. And Lou is just frozen in fear. And they're like, Lou, come on. It's just a chicken. And he's like, <sighs> and he's like panicking. And then like, he pulls out a revolver and like points it right at the chicken. He goes, you remember me? I'm Lou Stasiak and I'm all grown up now. <laughs> and it's, it's such a brilliant line. De- beautifully delivered. And so it's just a good show. I highly recommend it. Uh, I also watched, it occurred to me, I watched this like two weeks ago. Uh, I watched the entire first season of Rick and Morty. Um, Have you watched that? No. I think you would like it a lot. I like it, don't love it. Admittedly, by the time I finally got to it, it had been built up so much in my mind um, that I think when I finally got to it, uh, it was... I won't say it was a letdown because there are some episodes in there that are so wonderful. Um, And there are jokes in there that are so wonderful. But there are... I don't know. For some reason, it's just... I don't know what it is like maybe because I'm just a naturally melancholy person and I have no problem watching movies that are deeply depressing. Um, and I've watched it, but like I find, you know, I don't watch game of Thrones. I'm sluggish when it comes to watching mad men mm-hmm. and then something like Rick and Morty, which though funny is also often very depressing for me. There's something about depressing TV that even when it's great, I can acknowledge when it's great, um, but it's just, it gets to me. And I think maybe it's because, although of course I have no problem watching Hannibal, but I can't binge watch it. um, I think there's just something about like TV being, you know, there's more hours to it than a, than a single movie. It's maybe a little bit more immersive. Uh, You go on more of an, more of a journey with the characters uh, from one episode to the next. And so I think it just overwhelms me. And so Rick and Morty hilarious though it is, and it is often hilarious uh, is just a thing that like after a while, it just made me tired and it made me feel bad. Strange as that may sound. Is it, is it gross? There are parts of it that are gross. I think that's, yeah, that's the impression that I've gotten that has kept me away from the it. character. Rick is the old grandpa who will, as he's talking, he will occasionally burp and, uh, off putting. Yeah. I know it's meant to be funny, but it is, uh, I, I'm not grossed, grossed out by burps, but after a while it's like, I don't care for this. Yeah. Um, but it's, again, it's still a very good show. I think it's, I think the issue is mine. Um, and speaking along those lines, um, I did watch the season finale of community And I'm certainly not the only person saying this, but with the season finale, you can now kind of look over the whole season and just say, okay, so finales work. Well, I mean, some of them, it's (laughs) like, it doesn't require that you do that, but, and with community each season, especially for the last three years or so has been so strange, especially as they've been, you know, hemorrhaging cast members. I believe they say it in the show. Um, like, so it's like, okay, well, how did this season work without this person or with the new additions of these people, that kind of thing. Um, and this season, the finale kind of helps you to look back on not merely the season, but also the show in general. It's a show that often asks, okay, what am I and why am I that? And it's very much connected to Dan Harmon. It is, I would venture to say it is his psyche just put up on screen as he tries to figure out what that is. And it's just a really, it's a really great episode that is often very funny, but also, also very emotional, very surreal. Um, and it's, and so this season is one of, is definitely one of their better seasons. Um, 
and they make a couple of choices that I found so fascinating because they're completely out of the blue. But there comes a moment when the Dean played by, uh, uh, Jim Rash, you know, who's such an upbeat kind of guy. At one point he's talking to Abed and he says that this, that the shape of his brain is fucked up and they don't beep it because <laughs> it's on Yahoo and they can do that. And so, uh, and it just, it's like you're, you're watching and you're used to hearing that word uh-huh. in life, but you're not used to hearing it in this context. And so it's like, wait, hang on. What? Cause I think it cuts. I think it like, they don't call attention to it at all. It just is there. And I kind of love that they do it. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, wait, is that the first one all season? yeah it's that's awesome yeah and so and then they do it and then they say it again i think two or three more times in the episode after that but the fact that they give it to the dean first i think is very funny um but yeah so it was a really good episode and i'm i i it is could, it coming back they don't know yet okay um if it's a series finale it's a great series finale if it's a season finale it's a great season finale it's just it works on both of those levels and um it's just a it's this season they've really i know that you what you've seen you don't really like but i think there are episodes of this season and maybe the season in general i think you would have a great deal of appreciation for what and what is with the fact that this was the internet's favorite show and then once it was on the internet people stopped talking about it is it i've no idea does it come down to people don't like yahoo screen because it might be that that's what if it was on hulu or netflix i think they just said that just uh the interface like the player for yahoo sucks <laughs> I mean, it worked, it worked okay for me, but there were, there are a couple moments and I'll say this, like the very first episode, I remember like there are problems with it when it first popped up. And I think it's because I think a lot of people were going to it and maybe they didn't anticipate that. And so, um, but whatever, like, I don't know if they're going to put it out on DVD now this season, you know, that's what they've done when it's been on NBC. Right. I don't know if Yahoo will do it, but, um, but yeah, it's well, a, just a really, it's a really great season. And if they continue, if they do another one. I have no doubt that it'll be very good, but if they don't, then community as a series has been nicely summed up and it is, uh, I don't know. It was a really, it was a, I, I, I had to watch it twice because I wanted to oh. make sense of some of the things I was feeling. Well, we ended up spending a lot of time on TV this time around. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I watched alien and Congo. Yeah. What do you want from me? <laughs> so, but we're done. Okay. All right. All right.